Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that he can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thank you for the welcome. Great to be with you today and welcome to everyone who's in the room and watching online. Looking forward to unpacking this second part in this series on Philippians, which is in part a series designed to celebrate the partnership that the gospel has brought here in Kingsgate. Isn't this an amazing history and story that you're all part of, don't you think? Where through partnership around the gospel, lives have been transformed and are going to be transformed as the future is more of the same. God doing incredible things through, from what I can see, pretty ordinary people. Would you agree? So more of that is coming. And as we get into this passage, I want to really use Paul's, one of Paul, the Apostle Paul's most personal moments where he opens the door to his heart a little bit and begins to talk about how he's feeling about what is happening to him. And it includes this iconic verse for me to live is, now we'll fill in the blank in a moment according to how Paul fills it in, for me to live is, what is life really all about? But I wonder, just before we get to how Paul fills in the blank, how would you fill in the blank for yourself and the world in which we live? For me to live is 
family, maybe, I think would be the answer a lot of people give, don't you think? The children, the family, um, sports would be another answer that a lot of people give, wouldn't you think? I was, um, I, I was living this, this life yesterday. I went to Old Trafford with, uh, with, with the other team in Manchester that you, you guys don't hear enough about. I think you can see here, me and my boys at Old Trafford. Can you see that? There we go. We were there yesterday in the rain supporting the, the red team uh, of Manchester. And uh, seeing as Dave is away at the moment, I thought I would just talk about this, probably for the rest of the sermon, to be honest. <laughs> except that they lost in the end. And I don't know if you can see, as I, as I looked up in the stand, thinking about preaching to you today, for me to live is, and I looked up in the stand, and there it said this, you probably can't quite make it out, but it says, it's glory and honour, the great man said. There's nothing on earth like being a red. And I thought to myself, that is religious language right there, is it not? That's our words, glory and honour, they've nicked. And they've got this idea of a Messiah, who's, if, you're, if you're intrigued who the great man is, it's Bobby Charlton, obviously. But this idea that there's nothing more important on earth than being a red. Well, as Crystal Palace beat Manchester United in the rain yesterday at home, I thought to myself, if that's all we've got, <laughs> then it's a pretty desperate scene, don't you think? Whether you support the red or the blue or some other team. If, if for me to live is football, I, I thought yesterday football is just a poor substitute for the real thing. Rugby, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there is a Rugby World Cup on, so should we talk about that for another half an hour? Uh, <laughs> it is, it, I think I've said this before, but it is a more Christian sport, isn't it? I saw yesterday how they treat the referee at football, and I thought, rugby, there's authority. There's a sin bin for the people who do wrong. There's sin in rugby, and several conversions in every match. So, <laughs> I, if... <laughs> For me to live is rugby. No, if whatever, whatever you put after that phrase, if it isn't Jesus Christ, your life is inherently vulnerable. That's what I want to say. Because whatever you put all your hope in, for me to live is family, for me to live is sport, for me to live is work, all those things will leave you and your identity inherently vulnerable. But what we're going to do today is investigate the thought processes of a man who says, for me to live is Christ. It's Jesus Christ who makes sense of my life and my entire existence is all about him. And I've been studying this passage in Philippians and I have to say, I don't know if you've seen the film uh, Being John Malkovich where this sort of guy working as a puppeteer finds this portal and he sort of disappears into the mind of another person and the rest of the film is his exp him exploring the thought world and the life of someone that he isn't. And I've been doing that. I think the scriptures are almost like a portal here this morning into, you can pass through into the mind of the Apostle Paul, and he thinks very differently about life. And I must admit, at times I was thinking, if he is the normal Christian, <laughs> if this is way, the way a normal Christian sees the world and sees themselves, I've got some catching up to do. It's, it's quite disturbing. It's quite different to the self-engrossed, self-centered, anxious, vulnerable world that we are raised into today. Here is someone who can say, for me, it's all about Jesus. And he really means it, even when life is tough. And I want to invite you then into the mind of the Apostle Paul. Let it disturb you. Because what if what we call normal <laughs> is not the normal Christian life? You know, we don't decide what's normal by our average, right? Right? 
I've said this before, we decide what's normal according to the scriptures and then we seek to pull our average up towards the normal Christian life. What we're gonna go into right now, this is, this is the freedom of being a true Christian. It's living everything for Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it, for me to live is Christ. Or as one other translation puts it, for what is life? To me, it is Christ Jesus. So are you ready to be disturbed? Come with me into the mind of the Apostle Paul and the first thing we see is that the gospel, the message of Jesus, reorders our priorities. For Paul, top of the list in all of his life is that Jesus Christ would be glorified. That all of the attention and fame and honour and glory would not go to being a Red or Bobby, anything to do with Bobby Charlton, it's about Jesus Christ. And from that position, Paul looks out on life. He's effectively taken, imagine it this way, he's taken his little life, the Apostle Paul, and he's put by faith his life in Christ. (laughs) And now his identity is in Jesus and for Jesus. So he wakes up in the morning thinking about himself in Christ and looks out at the world to live for Christ. And that setup means he sees life differently. Even when things go wrong for Paul, he sees the things that are happening in Christ. Where is he as he writes this letter to the Philippians? He is in a Roman prison cell. How did he get there? Because he was falsely arrested in Jerusalem. He was taken eventually to Rome by ship under under arrest by Roman guards And yet that boat that he was on was shipwrecked off Malta and smashed to pieces. They managed to survive that only for him to put a log on the fire and a snake jumped out and latched itself onto his arm. I mean, if anything else could go wrong, it seemed to be going wrong for Paul. And he arrives in Rome, not free to go on the mission that he'd planned, but under arrest. In fact, I've done some filming in Rome recently and I went to see the prison cell. You can see here on the screen the prison cell where we think the Apostle Paul saw out the remains of his life in Rome. It's called the Mamertine Prison. He would have been lowered down through that hole into a dungeon where he wrote the letter of Philippians, most probably, where he wrote his later letter to Timothy uh, before he was eventually beheaded in 64 AD for following Jesus Christ. So this is the man on death row, right? This is a man who knows that this could well be the end. The next time the cell door opens, it could be the executioner. And he looks those realities in the face and he says, but for me to live is Christ. And he says to them, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Now, again, if all of that had happened to me, I think what I would want you to know is how difficult it had been for me. (laughs) How much easier your life is than mine. Paul is not interested in that. He is totally freed from any self-interest. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And you can imagine the smile on his face as he says that, because for Paul, that's all that matters. I am in Christ. My only mission in life is to make Jesus Christ famous. And whilst being in prison, I've been able to do that, Paul says. Now, how, you say, has he been able to do that? Well, I'll tell you one thing he did while he was in prison. He wrote the letter that is still inspiring us today. (laughs) So that was pretty effective, don't you think? We have Philippians because Paul was sat in a Roman prison cell with nothing to do but write letters. 
which have proven to be inspired by God to inspire millions of Christians all around the world, including us as we look at it this morning. So that was pretty good, number one. But the second thing he did was that he was chained to Praetorium Guards, the elite soldiers in the Roman Empire, and they were on four-hour rotation shifts, and Paul looked at them and thought, I have a captive audience here. (laughs) They think I'm the captive, but they're the ones who are chained to me. So what what is he going to do? That is not a rhetorical question. What is Paul going to do? Tell them about Jesus, because that's all he's there for, right? His life is Jesus Christ. So the Roman soldiers, they hear this compelling message from a prisoner who is far from despairing of hope, is rejoicing even in his sufferings. And you know what? At the end of Philippians, you'll get there in this series, Paul just sends some final greetings. He says, oh, by the way, he says, those in Caesar's household also send you their greetings. How are there Christians in Caesar's household? Well, because Paul's in prison in Rome and he's sharing the gospel with soldiers who live in Caesar's household. And the gospel is advancing because of someone who says, I don't care about myself. I am living for Jesus Christ. What a powerful way to live, amen. I don't know about you, as I look at, get into that mind, being the Apostle Paul, come into the portal of his mind and think again about how we see our own life. Even when he realises that people opportunists, devious opportunists, when he's locked up inside, realise, well, now's our opportunity to seize Paul's influence and sphere. They're now trying on the outside to take Paul's followers away from him. And Paul says, he reflects on this and he says, well... What does that matter? (laughs) Are they preaching about Jesus, even if they're doing it to steal people away from me? Yes, they are. And Paul says, well, then I rejoice because it was never about me in the first place. It's all about him. What an extraordinary way to see life. But do you notice, and here's the thing, he keeps using this word joy and rejoice. Do you notice how free this man is? There's like, there's nothing you can really do to him because for him to live is Christ and you can't take Christ away from him. So whatever happens to him, he's got everything he needs to rejoice in and through his circumstances. Isn't that extraordinary? How much joy do we have? We have all the things outwardly that the Apostle Paul did not have. I was speaking to a friend recently who was a former Iranian pastor who was locked up in prison for four years in Iran, and he saw some of his own brothers and sisters in Christ executed while he was in prison. And he made the observation, he said, that we in the West have the least to fear and yet are the most fearful. (laughs) I thought, what a challenging thought that is. We are the most free with the least to fear and yet we're the most anxious and fearful. Why? Because we are not identifying ourselves as those in Christ. This is the pathway of true joy and freedom. It's the way to avoid looking at another life that we don't have and wishing for something. You know, so many of us live with that kind of if only, then kind of formula. If only I had a different family background or if only I had a different job, then I would be able to really serve Jesus. What about switching that round like the Apostle Paul did in prison where it was tough and said, no, right here and now. I will serve Jesus Christ. I've got everything I need whilst in a Roman prison cell to glorify Jesus Christ and nothing's going to stop me. Amen? So the first thing is that the gospel reorders our priorities. It establishes the fact that we are in Christ 
And therefore, we will live for Jesus Christ, come what may. Secondly, the the gospel, as well as reordering our priorities, the second thing the gospel does is it redirects our hope. It redirects our hope. As I looked across um, the stadium yesterday uh, in Manchester, there was that sign about glory and honour on one side. And then on the other side, there was a little sign that said, Manchester is my heaven. There you go. I don't know if you can make it out of the far side. Manchester is my heaven. Now, as the rain fell down and Crystal Palace scored the winning goal, I thought to myself, if this is the closest we're getting to heaven, (laughs) we need to find another hope. (laughs) And the gospel redirects our hope from things in this life which are so transient and vulnerable. Whatever you put your hope in in this life, at some point you are going to lose it. Either because it's the stock, and stock shares fall or because the loved one dies or because the job comes to an end or, some, or you die more to the point. That's also going to happen in case you haven't figured that out yet. You know, that's also planned for your life is that it will end in death. And so at some point you're going to lose anything that you put your hope in in this life. But what if the gospel could redirect our hope to something beyond this life? something that can never be taken away from us, something that is a sure and certain hope, as sure as tomorrow's sunrise is a hope beyond this life that nothing can snatch away. Now, this is what Paul means when he says, and this is the incredible second part of that phrase. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. Paul sees beyond death something more glorious than the life he is currently living. In other words, the gospel has redirected his hopes from this life to the life to come. Now again, that means that even though he is on death row, even though his life is hanging by a thread, even though he is going to appear before Caesar and Caesar can simply, on a whim of what he thinks, with no justice really in this, in this empire context, he can just do this or this and Paul's fate is decided. Even though externally his life is hanging on a thread, because he has found something worth dying for, the man is ready to live. And I want to say until we have found something of ultimate hope and importance, something worth dying for, we are not yet fit to live. We are not yet ready to live without vulnerability and anxiety and uncertainty. But Paul instead can say, for me to live is Christ and when I die, it's just going to be gain. And so he then has this, again, come inside the mind. It is a strange world inside Paul's mind. He then has this sort of thought experiment that he articulates in front of the Philippians in this letter. He sort of says, so I kind of think on the one hand, I could die and that would mean everything was glorious, but equally I could live and that means I could serve you more. And he's almost like, so I don't really know which I want. You know, it's almost like you've put a kid in an ice cream shop and he's like, it just all looks fantastic. (laughs) I could die and be with Jesus or I could live and go on serving with you. Wow, what a choice. It's a win-win scenario, whatever Caesar says and does. Isn't that extraordinary? But occasionally, you know, you meet people, particularly I've had the privilege on a number of occasions of of seeing people die right through to the point of death and they have this hope in Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, it is good for the soul. To see someone die with this kind of honour is extraordinary. 
because it just shows that there is something certain to come that nothing can snatch away and they are free then to live or die in the confidence of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul draws on a a, a metaphor here of citizenship. He says, he makes the point that Philippi in the ancient world, Philippi was officially a colony of Rome. So those particularly retired soldiers who had fought for Rome in their battles, they were given privileged citizenship in Philippi and it was almost as if they, they were told, you are heirs of Rome, you belong to Rome though you live in Philippi and you will have the right to visit Rome, you have the welcome of Rome, you have the honour of Rome even though you don't live there at the moment. And Paul takes this analogy and he says to the Christians, you are citizens of heaven. You have, the, you have the belonging and the welcome of heaven to come. And one day he even goes on in chapter three to say, and one day you will have the glorious body of Jesus Christ will become your glory and your body. You will have a resurrection into a glorious body. Now, I don't know about the person sitting next to you, but the idea of a glorious body probably appeals to some of us, does it not? Whether or not you are absolutely smashing it at the gym at the moment or struggling to get off the sofa, Paul says, ahead of you lies a glory and honour that you could not even imagine. And you are a citizen of that hope. It belongs to you. It is your right in Jesus Christ. So lift your eyes off the things of this world. It's all passing away. Fix your eyes on the glory that is to come. And from that hope, decide now. Well then, in the light of where I'm going, how now shall I live? I will live for Christ. I will live with a boldness for Jesus. You see, once you know that your final destination is secure and sorted, you don't have to live a timid life in the present. You can step out in faith and take, make bolder moves for Jesus. I've got some great friends at the moment who are starting new churches and pioneering the gospel and I, I love to hear their stories because they're cutting loose from the fear and the anxiety of progressing through what the world says is greatness. And they're saying, actually, that's not greatness for us. We're on our way to glory. So how now can we glorify Jesus on the way? It frees you up from a worried temperament to live a bold, audacious life for the glory of God. I think of it, back to that most Christian sport, rugby. I think of it, if you ever watch the Rugby World Cup, which you need to, if, if you ever watch the rugby matches, you'll know there are moments where the referee has seen an infringement by the other team and he puts his arm out to say that a penalty is coming. In other words, the, the team know that whatever happens now, they're going to have a chance to kick at the post for three points. And because they know the game's playing on, but they know that they've got something coming, that's often when they go for their most adventurous play. It's like, let's just cut loose. We can have a go now because we're secure that whatever happens next, we're going to get a good result in the end. You know, the referee has got his arm out right now, folks. You know, there is glory coming our way. So let's have a go. Let's not hold back from the adventure of faith, but let's put it all out there for Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the meantime, I'm going for Jesus Christ. It's all for him. Amen. And finally, Paul, and I'll be brief on this, notes that all of this, galvanizes us, the gospel deepens our partnership. You know, in the meantime, between 
life and death. In the meantime, we press on together as one for the gospel. Paul uses another Roman metaphor here. The Roman army advanced as a unit and they devised this strategy to attack cities and other armies where they joined their shields together and locked together in what was called a phalanx. And you can see on the screen, I think, an image of a a, a Roman phalanx, which effectively meant that if you were the opposition, it looked like one massive beast was coming towards you. There were no gaps, there were no individuals. It was this united front that moved forwards and it was practically unstoppable in the ancient world. And Paul draws on that metaphor when he says he wants us to stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We are one. We are not many individuals. We are one body, one phalanx, one mighty army in Jesus Christ. We don't do this on our own. Some of us may be understandably fearful of the challenges of representing Jesus Christ in this world. Listen, you're not on your own. We are a team together. And I urge you, for the sake of the cause that matters more than anything else, don't be a bystander. Don't let yourself be an individual on the edges of what God is doing, get stuck in, join arms, lock shields, get involved in the middle of the the movement of God in the world. Here in this church, pile in to the settings where you are united with other believers in small groups, in prayer meetings. Those are the places where we lock shields, where we're not individuals, amen? We're moving forwards together towards a goal, which is that in this world, we will make Jesus Christ known. That those who are chained to us, those who are at work with us, those who are on our right and our left, they will also get to hear the good news of Jesus together as we move forwards. And Paul is very realistic right at the end of this passage. He's not pretending it will be easy at all. He says in verse 30, he speaks about those who suffer, that we will suffer for him and that we will struggle together, to follow this true Christian life, to inhabit the mind of Paul and to think, right, my my priorities will be reordered. It's not about me. I am in Christ. It's all about Jesus. My future hope is redirected to glory and I will live a bold, adventurous life. You know, this will involve suffering and struggle, Paul says. He's very honest about that. But what else? is worth living for. I find nothing else in this world, do you? What else gives us a hope and an assurance and a confidence to face even death itself with joy? What else can do this for you? In a world that is putting its hope in such fragile and fleeting things, we have the opportunity to put our hope in Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about what this feels like and how sometimes the price that we have to pay can seem almost to outweigh the benefits that we will experience. And yet actually when you see it for what it really is, you realise that the price we pay in following Christ is nothing compared to the glory, the honour and the privilege that is ours. I remember a few years back um, when we lived down in Cornwall actually, so many years ago, I remember uh, having a knock at the door and it was the postman. And um, the postman had a a sort of letter for us. 
Um, but it was one of these moments where it, they hadn't paid enough postage. And so the postman said, there's one, I remember the number, it was £1.27 that I had to pay in order to have this piece of postage. Have you ever had this experience? And I sort of looked at it. It was £1 handling charge. I thought, well, I'll just, I can just take it. We can save the pound. But anyway, it was £1 handling charge and 27p postage. So I, I looked at it and I didn't recognise the handwriting. And I thought, I'm not paying £1.27 for that. So I said, no, I don't want it. Uh, you keep it. <laughs> so uh, we lived in a cul-de-sac, and that was that. I, I closed the door behind him, and he walked off with this piece of uh, mail. But as he was walking around the cul-de-sac, I was in the kitchen and looked out over the cul-de-sac. I sort of was making a cup of tea, and I was looking out, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder what that was. <laughs> Did you know what I mean? It's like, I wonder what was in that, that thing I've just turned away because £1.27, was not, it's not worth it. In the end, he walked down the road. In the end, I just couldn't resist. So I grabbed, I grabbed some money and I ran after him and I said, I, I repent. I said, I repent. I, I've changed my mind. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you. So I paid him the £1.27 and took this letter home. I opened it up. And uh, some friends of ours who, who had never written to us before, but some friends of ours knew that we were so, shortly going to South Africa. And inside was a card. And inside the card was 5,000 rand of South African money as a gift for our trip to South Africa. <sighs> yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, exactly all, the, all those things you're feeling right now, right? Imagine if, imagine if for £1.27, I turned that all down. And I think the cost of following Jesus Christ is about £1.27 compared to the incredible riches and glory that are ours in him. Wouldn't you agree? And I urge you this morning not to turn down your opportunity to say, for me to live is Christ, to die will be gain, to suffer is a privilege, Lord. That's what Paul said. He says, I'm in prison and in my chains. I rejoice to suffer for Jesus Christ. He is worth it all. The glory that belongs to us in him will be worth every price that we have paid. So I want to invite us to respond to this message in a moment. And just to, I actually want to invite us to use that phrase, for me to live is Christ, as a statement of intent that over our lives in this coming week, we have decided to follow Jesus in this full-on way. My circumstances, instead of being a problem, will be my opportunity in which to glorify Jesus. Amen? I'm not going to look out the window at a life that I don't have, that I wish I could have. I'm going to be in the room, present with Jesus and saying, Lord, how can I make you known in the life that you've given me? Because all that matters to me, Lord, is you and your glory and your fame. And if that's a life you want to live, I want to invite you just to stand with me right now. I don't feel you have to, but if that's the life you choose to live, I want to invite you to stand as a moment of just responding to Jesus Christ and maybe just to lift your hands in front of you as a sign of surrender. Everything that we have is being offered to Jesus. This is true Christianity. It is not a Sunday morning experience. It is the everything that we have for me to live is Christ. And in your own words now, just turn that phrase into your prayer. Just take a moment now and begin to speak to Jesus. For me to live is Christ. If there are other things that have become competing rivals in your life, surrender those things. Put those things in your hand. Offer your family to Him. Offer your work to Him. 
Offer your sports passions and your hobbies and your holidays and your retirement plans. Offer the lot to Jesus Christ. He gave everything for us on the cross, even to death. Now we receive His gift of life and we offer everything to Him. Begin to make that your prayer. Lord, for me to live is Christ. And one day to die will be gain. And in the meantime, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Come Holy Spirit, we pray, liberate us from the small competing rivalries of our hearts that our total devotion may be to Jesus Christ. And I pray for those of us who are going through tough times right now. I felt this as a particular burden this morning. There are some of us who resonate with Paul in prison. Life is confined right now by circumstances we would never have chosen. We have worries and cares on our minds as we came in this morning that are very real. God loves you. And God's purpose and plan for your life, He wants you to know, is working itself out and can work itself out in and through that difficult set of circumstances. And as you surrender your life to Christ in and through the pain, in the struggle, I just feel the Lord is wanting to deposit joy in your heart, a joy that is irrespective of your circumstances, a joy that doesn't make sense to those around you who know what you're going through. But Father in heaven, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in pain and in confinement and in suffering, let there be joy an inexplicable joy in the gospel. Let them know the joy of Jesus Christ. Let them sing songs as Paul in a prison in Philippi sang hymns at midnight with his fellow brothers and sisters, worshiping the Lord in the place of pain. I pray let there be a release of joy in the prison cells, in the tough places, in the workplaces, where there's hostility, where there's suffering. Lord Jesus, let there be joy. And may we glorify you, I pray over this church, as it partners in the gospel, as a phalanx united and bonded together in love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Be be magnified, Lord Jesus. Be glorified, Lord. Our one great cause, our one concern is that your name is lifted high. To you be all the glory, we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.